I am so excited, as per always, as per every podcast. Today's guest makes me very happy because I had the sweet pleasure of being fed by this man. And well before I knew Dave as the human that he is, I used to eat his bars that he made at this great little bicycle coffee shop wrapped in brown paper, and they might have even had strings on them. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Today we have Dave, former semi-pro or pro cyclist. He went on to make bars for cyclists to feed us, known as Prima Bars, and he's now left that venture to partner with his partner in making pizzas. And if you're in Vancouver, they are arguably some of the best pizzas in the city. And without further ado, Dave, hi my friend. Hello, Steph. Thank you for having me. This is an exciting time to be on the other side of a non-food exchange. (laughs) There's no food. It's pure conversation. Yes, it is. (laughs) So, Dave, let's just start. I mean, I knew you as the man wrapping awesome energy bars in brown paper packages. And that was actually on the end of your cycling career. You had returned from Europe back to Vancouver and you were feeding us. And tell us about that version of Dave before we dive into present Dave. So Prima Bar version of Dave or Racing in Europe version of Dave? Let's start Racing in Europe because Racing in Europe inspired Prima Dave, did he not? Yeah, yeah. So I did spend some time over there racing. I was fortunate that I had a great team here in North America, which is the Red Truck Racing Team, which is kind of a staple of the Vancouver road cycling scene. I raced with them for many years. For a couple seasons, had gone over and raced on an amateur team in France and also uh, spent some time racing with the Canadian national team. So we did Tour de l'Avenir and World Championships in 2008. Yeah. So that was quite an experience. I was fully immersed in the road cycling thing for about 10 years and gave it my all and then finally decided that it was time to move on from it. And while I had been racing, I was also in school. So I studied food science and nutrition at UBC and all of the sort of stuff that we were eating in Europe and just kind of the different way that they approach nutrition and everything like that is kind of what led me to start the Prima Bar Venture, which was in 2013. So it was all based on real food ingredients, which you know very well. So, you know, not using syrups and all the other kind of crazy stuff that's in a lot of the the sports nutrition products or that they market as sports nutrition that's uh, that's out there in North America. So, yeah. Amazing. And did you know that you wanted to get into food science while you were riding or how did that come together? Um, I was always really interested in nutrition. I was probably the least talented cyclist on my junior team. So I was always looking for, you know, like the edge of you know, whether it's like keeping my bike clean or eating really well or, you know, drinking tons of water all the time and that sort of thing. So yeah, I just got really got interested in food when I was uh, when I was a teenager and started looking at different programs, whether it be nutrition and food science kind of mix of things really interested me. So I was I had started racing when I was, you know, a young teenager. And then uh, by the time I was in university, I was kind of doing both at the same time. So hmm. and do you credit your success as a cyclist to your nutrition? Uh, in part, there's, it's a kind of a complicated sport and there's a lot of things that like any sport, but there's so many factors that go into it. And once you reach a certain level, they all become really important, you know, so your, your diet, of course, and the training and the rest is a really big 
big thing that a lot of people that aren't necessarily involved in, in sport sort of don't tend to think about is all the recovery that goes into it and all that sort of thing. And, and then obviously the putting the work in, putting the training in, the miles and all that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, yeah. definitely nutrition was a big part of it, but also just kind of, I would say like consistent discipline with just chipping away at it month after, after month, after year, after year kind of thing. And I was satisfied with the, the point that I got to with the sport and was ready to move on from it for sure. Yeah. Right. So it's as though in Europe, you learned about real food doping. And I guess I can't joke about doping in the sport of cycling. (laughs) You can. (laughs) It's just not a joke. But tell me what you learned in Europe and what you were inspired by to come back to create here in Canada. Yeah, I mean, sort of, uh, and this ties into what we're doing right now too, but like they just have a much more common sense way of looking at um, a lot of things, but food especially, you know, is it's just food and they follow a more traditional way of looking at food and whether it's, you know, breakfast the day of the race is always this. And why is it that? Because that's what it is. And it's not because of carbohydrate mixes and all this kind of stuff. It's just like, this is what you have. So what did you have? Ah, Just like natural stuff. Like they don't, they don't do the really gels. They don't do the protein shakes and all that kind of stuff it's all just like you know regular food right mm. so uh, we would get like right you know rice cakes and sandwiches and we had at one point a belgian soigneur so we had these little he would make these little like waffle things for us with with pieces of chocolate in them and stuff and so you know you're doing a 200k stage of some race or another and you get a little waffle in your musette and your feed bag and uh yeah so that's just all all the kind of stuff that they just eat food and it's traditional food depending where you're where you are if you're in italy you're eating more you know pasta and if you're in france you're eating more bread and and uh, and that sort of thing so gosh i love it it's also really i think important for us to hear this because cyclists are also known of course to care about their power to weight ratios and their their body weight and you obviously weren't starving yourself and you weren't not having bread in France or Italy for that matter or at least it sounds like it is that true no I mean you know there's obviously lots of stuff around low carb and grain free you know paleo and all that kind of stuff that's uh, that's happening these days and it's pretty hard to be in an endurance sport and not be consuming quite a bit of carbohydrate because that's that's just what your body runs off of for that type of exercise so yeah there's there's definitely some baguette going around the breakfast table <laughs> those types of events so. I love it yeah. well it's so helpful to hear about your days of racing and what fueled you because you've obviously taken that over now into your your professional life how you spend your days your your next career and I've said this a few times on this podcast I love jamming with athletes entrepreneurs with artists with humans who care enough to put themselves on the line and I heard actually over the holidays that one of the most addictive things you can be addicted to in life is a paycheck and athletes and entrepreneurs certainly don't know what that is <laughs> all about when you're hustling or racing for your next paycheck and so you did retire and you're happy to retire which is great because not every athlete feels complete at the time of their retirement and you've gone on to now run a really thriving and, and busy pizza operation with your partner and I want to know about that transition and yeah t- tell me about either how cycling has supported this transition for you or how you've been able to adapt to a whole new way of many less miles on a bike and perhaps more hours slinging dough? 
Yeah, I think what you said about, you know, the addictiveness of a paycheck is probably true, but there's also um, something, you know, really special about being able to get up every day and choose what it is that you want to do. If it's, if you're, you know, spending a, like I was a spending a summer where I wasn't working and I was dedicated to racing, I could, you know, during the week, get up and decide, okay, I'm going to start my ride at nine o'clock. I'm going to, you know, do such and such a workout and, and, uh, you know, this is what I'm going to spend my time on. So that is also something sort of special. And so I kind of got used to that, I guess, when I was racing, you know, deciding what I was going to do with my time. And while I was in school and training, you know, would I maybe miss a class to extend a ride or would I (laughs) skip a ride to study for an exam or that sort of thing. And so really, and I, I didn't really obviously realize this at the time, but it was a kind of, I was forced to decide how to distribute my time, which is really in the type of work that we're doing now. And I think everybody's work, whether you work for yourself or whatever large organization you're at with knowledge work, it is so important to, d- to decide what it is that you're going to spend your time on because that's sort of our biggest resource, right? Is our own time. And, uh, and same thing with money too, which is that just kind of learned along the way of like, all right, if I can like find a little extra gig on the side, that's maybe not going to like, so, and that's how I kind of got started into like doing some nutrition writing. So I was like writing articles for, I don't know, probably 50 bucks or something. And so like just little extra things that I could do to like pick up a little bit of income because the less that I had to be sort of stuck working at a job of, you know, nine to five while I was trying to train, the more I could train and the more I could pursue my goal, which was the cycling thing. So cool. Uh, yeah. So from that standpoint, I think that sort of ended up steering me towards this more entrepreneurial lifestyle that I'm living now and without really thinking about it at the time, right? It's just kind of sort of the same way of doing things, I guess. And it just carried over into, into starting a business. Right. And now, in terms of your time, how, how do you structure your time? How do you structure your life so it doesn't feel 24-7? Or does it? It sometimes does. <laughs> um, but it sort of seems to be constantly changing. And that's, that's one of the things that uh, both Francesca, my partner, and I really like about our work is that, you know, every six months it is completely different, it seems like. And, and so our routine is always changing and our priorities and who's spending time on what. It's not exactly like I can say, you know, this is what I do every day and this is what I've been doing for the last five years kind of thing. It's, you know, even just in the last two weeks, we've had significant changes that have, you know, caused us to rearrange how we, how we do things. But I don't know, I guess you just sort of prioritize and, and I work pretty hard to try to stay on top of all of the small stuff, but as you know, it's Mm. not so easy. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. yeah. All of the stuff matters. Yeah, Um, exactly. Did you think, I mean, riding your bike in Europe, would you have thought 10 years later, this is what life would have looked like for you? I don't think so. I don't know that I really thought all that much about it, to be honest. Like when I was there and when I was racing, I think I really still wanted to go pro and be racing full time until I was 35 kind of thing. So I I don't think I really thought that I would be doing anything like this at this point because I was fully committed and, and invested to try to turn completely actually pro and make a career to cycling and then reassess at that point. But just my kind of motivation changed and, and decided that it was time to, like, I had done what I had wanted to do. So I, I don't think I really thought all that much about it. Fair. Yeah. Um, only because you mentioned waffles in Europe. Do you have a favorite place to get waffles in Vancouver? Well, 
we make waffles at home every Sunday. So that's my Aww. favorite place to eat them. And uh, that was a family recipe growing up too. But Medina, it's hard to beat Medina waffles. I have to say. Mm, got they're, it. They're very good. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. I ask about, you know, past Dave to present Dave. And now I wonder, what do you think the future road looks like for you? Or... You know, when you sit now, you know, among a very thriving business, a growing business, like we've mentioned, you have your um, shop, which is in North Vancouver, best pizza in North Vancouver, hands down. And now you're selling frozen pizzas, which we can buy in the grocery store. My new favorite frozen pizza. I'm totally obsessed. But what's the future? What does 10 years from now look like? Um, I mean, I'm where we're at right now is is an exciting point to be. And I'm excited about building an organization now. And that's that's cool. what we set our sights on and and with our first venture in wholesale foods it was sort of set up a little bit differently so we were using companies to produce stuff for us i was using like third-party sales agencies and a lot of distributors and all that kind of stuff and this time we've sort of gone the opposite direction so with holy napoli we set up our own facility um we've got our like you know in-house sales people and production and all that sort of stuff and so um starting to kind of create our own larger company is something that I see taking up at least the next 10 years, <laughs> probably longer. So, you know, it's amazing how quickly we've had our product in the market for about a year now with the, the frozen pizza. And uh, it's amazing how quickly a year goes. So yeah, 10 years, I think we'll still be doing the same thing. I love it. I thought it was holy Napoli, but I well, guess you can, wrong. <laughs> well, you know, the city of Napoli is that's how it's pronounced, but it's, uh... it, the name is designed to for you to say it that way. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not uh, wrong. Yeah. I'm just half right. <laughs> holy. I got the holy right. Yeah. I want to know who you're inspired by in the food scene, pizza or beyond, you know, Canada or beyond. Who do you think is doing a good job? Yeah, where, where do you strike in, inspiration from, Dave? Well, very close to home. Someone that I know really well is uh, Thomas Haas, who's a local chocolatier and they have a patisserie and, and a couple of chocolate shops and they do wholesale and that sort of thing. And I actually used to uh, work for Thomas while I was in this whole racing and school and training phase of my life. And they were great to work for. And it's a really special company. It's Thomas and Lisa Haas, a husband and wife that run it. So it's kind of similar to Francesca and I. And they're, I mean, Speaking of being on top of the little things, but they're they have such a great outlook on on you know their business and, and life and and all that kind of stuff. So definitely, that's the first kind of person that comes to mind. And they are absolutely quality obsessed and also committed to you know making a, just a good organization and not necessarily a big one. Like they they yeah. have their business and they're doing a great job of it and they want to keep improving it. And I think there's a lot of people that get caught up in the growth thing and in the, you know, financing and all these other things that you can, that you can do with it. And, uh, you know, obviously everyone wants to grow their business, but to really focus on making it good, not just the products, but also like the workplace and the environmental stuff. Like they have all kinds of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that you, that they don't necessarily promote, but that's just like great stuff. And so, um, and that's, that's just someone that I've worked, you know, I've worked there before and I know them pretty well and that sort of thing. And I'm sure there are lots of other businesses like that out there. So I'm always trying to learn from people and ask around and have conversations wherever we can because it's it's all very much a learning experience. So totally. All right. So Thomas undeniably inspirational. You can find him still working in his sweet bakery and, and I mean undeniably his product is phenomenal. So that's yeah, no surprise that he's a top of your list. 
So on the coattails of Thomas, I'm curious, perhaps less the angle of inspiration and more the angle of food trends, and perhaps on a shorter term horizon even. I feel like we've gone through, you know, the cupcake trend, the donut trend, you go through diet trends, keto, paleo, be it plant-based or otherwise. And I'm just curious of the food trends that you think are on the horizon and if at all your organization will adapt to that or do you just stay the course and let this you know, let the trend flag wave for the moment that it wants to wave. Yeah, I think there are, I mean, something that I pay a lot of attention to and think a lot about, and I think there are a lot of macro trends that that we we think about. And um, for us, one of those is definitely convenience. And so being a frozen product, frozen has not necessarily had the best kind of reputation over the last say 20 years kind of thing. But I think increasingly people just with the way, like you were saying about 24 seven kind of thing, like everybody just seems to getting, be getting busier and busier. And so for us, like just convenience as a trend is, is important. But then there's also, you know, kind of tied into that is people are looking for something that they can connect with more and something that's more, I guess, aligned with their values and, and of a high quality. So I think that people are looking for, they, they sort of want it all now. Like it's not mm-hmm. just can, convenience and they don't care what's in it or who made it or you know um, what it's about but they they're looking for everything and again for us doing frozen it is a really special opportunity for us because a lot of the frozen pizza especially brands they're sort of legacy brands and our tagline is actually sacredly authentic neapolitan pizza so we are reaching out to that consumer and saying you know this is authentic it's an authentic product we use like the special flour from Italy that all the Neapolitan pizzerias use there. And we use, you know, bacconcini, mozzarella, and we use all of the, those classic ingredients. And people notice that and people are looking for that. And they're looking for that quality product that they can connect with, because I think that they're becoming much more educated about what it is that's in the food. And so, you know, I think convenience, I think quality, I think kind of connection and values. I think those are sort of the macro trends that we think about. And in terms of, you know, jumping from uh, one thing to another and, and, you know, kind of the, like the features almost, right. And, and our grocery customers are often asking us, like, well, is it, you know, this, or is it that? And yeah, you know, we don't really tick any of those boxes, but we make a really good product. And at the end of the day, I think that that is where everything is heading. Lower quality stuff is just eventually going to get phased out and people are just going to be hopefully eating better, whether they're choosing to make their own food at home or they're buying something that's prepared from the grocery store. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, well said. And thank you for caring about the things you care about because it's as though we get to eat your care. And I hope that is a trend that lasts for a long time and that isn't as fleeting as a paleo diet. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, I hope so too. And it's interesting how like just with the, you know, the internet and social media and stuff like it is, we get Instagram messages from from people that either, you know, just want to tell us that they like the product or they have a suggestion. And and some of those things we've gotten feedback and like, you know what, that's actually a really good idea. We should put the basil on top of the meat instead of the bottom so you can see it. And there's stuff like that. And, you know, again, like, Maybe you would have picked up the phone before and phoned the company, but it's just cool to see how people can become more engaged and involved and to steer the direction of something. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, so cool. So, oh, so cool. Dave, as you know, the last question we wrap every podcast at Uncorked with is what is currently making your heart beat faster? Yes, I do know that was a question. And so <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking about it because obviously I avid listener of the podcast. And so I was thinking, because my heart beats very quickly a lot of the time. I get really excited about everything. 
And so I think I'm like, how am I going to pick an answer here? But speaking of kind of cycling and, and that sort of stuff, you know, I was thinking about the different habits that I would have had from cycling that kind of carried over into business and that sort of thing. And the one thing that I sort of lost track of was hydration, actually. And so um, my answer is hydration which is that if I'm hydrated, my heart can beat very quickly about whatever it is that I want. <laughs> I get, I'm, I'm on a kick about on that certain day. It's kind of always something. So yeah, I've been trying to drink a lot of water lately. And, and I had, I don't know why I sort of forgot about that. But I recently remembered I was watching a Conor McGregor documentary on Netflix. And I'm not really a UFC fan, but I just happened to be watching this documentary. And he's just carrying a water jug around with him the whole time. And I was like, I sort of forgot about bringing water everywhere. So I just started drinking way more water and less coffee and uh, just been, yeah, feeling really good uh, just from that one thing. So the heartbeat has been going. I love it. And I love it because people need to know that before this, before we hit record, Dave needed to drink some water and he's also now properly made me feel guilty for considering that my coffee consumption every day is water. And I think it's important that we delineate that and coffee is coffee and we need more water. So said from a cyclist himself, who I'm sure has downed many bottles in his day. I'm glad that you're getting back on the hydration train and we'll all stay on the pizza train. Sounds great. Sounds good. Ah, <laughs> oh, Dave, it's a pleasure to hear the truth from you and to realize that, you know, the pizza empire is built one pizza at a time by customers who care about the same things that you care about. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that you care. So I hope you don't stop. I hope you drink more water and I look forward to seeing you around town. Thanks, Stephanie.